0: We've always believed in something called progress. It's time to get lit.
1: What kind of lit? Health lit. That's what I'm talking about. It's time to get educated about health conditions affecting our community. Your health is very important. Check in with experts on important topics like breast cancer, diabetes, prematurity, and much more. This show is lit. No one should know you better than you. So lock in. Welcome to Your Health is Lit.
0: Hi guys welcome to another your health is lit podcast I'm Charla Walker the PDMP and today we are closing out October it is October 30th um and we are closing out October and earlier this month we did a conversation with myself Donna and Eve and we were talking about domestic violence um and it's just been in the news lately so much I have the opportunity today and have a special guest with us, Ms. Sophia Strother. Um, She's an author. She is a consultant and empowerment coach. She has done so many great things um, in the world of helping survivors with domestic violence. And so I, as soon as I saw, um, she did a a blog and it was just amazing and powerful. So as soon as I read it, I was like, we have to have her. And she is so graciously, um, joining us today. She has books, just so much information and her testimony is amazing. And so we are so glad to have
1: you on our podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be with you this evening. I, it's just amazing how, um, that journey of standing your ground and making yourself seen can make it to where I get to meet great people like yourself and then be honored to be a part of this podcast today. So again, thank you so much.
0: Oh no, thank you. I'm so excited. Okay. So I don't even know where to start because I know we were talking a little bit before we started about just like how much just, you have so much
1: knowledge and so many things to offer. I <laughs> yeah, you know What's funny is, once you've lived through some of the trauma and tragedy, um, you you get to a certain point in your life to where you laugh to keep from crying. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard that saying before. Um, I I was in a meeting earlier today discussing uh, human trafficking, which I'm I'm a survivor of familiar trafficking. And um, I was talking about, I don't know if you've seen the movie Coach Carter with Samuel L. Jackson and Chance Kanan. A long time ago. Okay. It was a phenomenal movie. And um, the actual Coach Carter, who is a friend of mine, I'll never forget, he said this to me when I was getting ready to write my first book, Sophia, I'm Back. He said, when I first came to him, he did not believe that I went through what I wrote about. And I was like, well, why would I make that up? Like, that doesn't make sense that I would make up such tragedy. He said, Sophia, like, do you see yourself today? Like, looking at you, you would never think that you had endured, Mm -hmm. you know, child sexual abuse from the age of nine, that you had a parent that sold you for drugs, that you endured domestic violence and, and other sexual assault. Like, you wouldn't look at you. And I said, well, that's the point. You're not supposed to look at me and I'm wearing on my forehead and all over my being um, that I am what happened to me because Mm -hmm. I'm not. And that's a part of speaking my truth and working with so many across the US and and we're gonna be traveling into Africa uh, in 2019 is to let you know there is life after abuse, that you don't have to just simply survive, but you can transition into thriving um but it is an everyday journey healing physically um emotionally and spiritually is an everyday journey and I have to make up in my mind every day that I wake up that I am not my past and I'm not what happened to me
0: yeah that's amazing and I feel like a lot of people um I know me like I'm really big into you know my faith and I always tell people that you like because because of God's grace, I don't look like or feel like or smell like the things that I've been through. Mm -hmm. Um, And it like it it is like some, everybody has a story, Mm -hmm. right? And it's always those people that you would never, like you would never guess like, Mm -hmm. oh man, that happened to you? Wow. Um, And it's just by God's grace that we are able to, you know, take something that happened to us and use it you know, Romans 828 says like, we use things, you know, all things work together for the greater of our good. And mm-hmm. so to be able to use things that have happened to us, um, for his glory, it's like, that's, that's it. You live in, <laughs> living your best life. <laughs> trying
1: to, I'm trying to, I, I always, my motto is to enjoy the life you're living. Yeah. Um, and with so much, um, tragedy, um, that I've, witness and experience and endured. I just don't want the next 30, 40, 50 years, whatever God gives me to mirror that. Right. I prefer to kind of chart out my own uh, glass. I, I want to become a glass maker and make my own reflection and for it not to be what my past was.
0: Right. So we've kind of touched a little bit on, um, you know, some of the things that you've endured. I have to put, like, I'm going to share your testimonial videos in our group because it was powerful like I was just like man like what a story so can you share a little bit of you know our your story with you know our audience and then also explain you know your transition from being a victim to being a survivor to now being an advocate um, for people who deal with like domestic violence and um, human trafficking and things like that
1: Sure. Um, So just to let the audience know that the videos you're talking about, it was actually through a partnership with the Texas Young Lawyers Association. And what they wanted to do here was actually create a site for um, advocates or people that are bystanders that are seeing and and watching others that they know go through it or for victims themselves to have a platform to know of all the resources that are available to them and additional legal resources that are available to them for free and so they they gave any and all things having to do with domestic violence sexual assault and elderly abuse and they chose two survivors um that they wanted to catalog kind of their story and so it's free from violence.tyla.org and it's a great resource even if you're not in texas it's a great resource the star, especially with some of the legal options that are there for survivors um, but that's where I kind of chronicle my story a little bit and then some of the common things that we as survivors go through. But my abuse actually started when I was nine years old. Um, my mom worked a lot. She, was, um, she worked for elderly individuals that had some um, mental, they were mental health and mental retardation. Um, and so she would work all night and sleep all day. Um, and my father, that's, I was a daddy's girl uh, he worked for a local gas company. Um, and all I know is that the late 80s hit. Uh, I'm an 80s baby, and The late 80s hit. And that's when I'm, I'm from Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, the East Coast, New York it was just, all down the East Coast was just lambasted with crack. And um, it hit families pretty hard. And I didn't come from poverty-stricken. I don't have that background. I have a suburb. Both my parents made good money, $60,000, $70,000 in the 80s, which is pretty good for that time. Um, But they got caught up in the life. They went from weed to cocaine to crack and crack. There was no coming back from. And unfortunately, my father started to molest me and carry on a relationship with me at that time. And that's actually when he really started to kind of sow a seed of, you know, this is what relationships look like. I'm loving you like I love your mother. And, you know, you don't talk back. And if a man says to do this, you just do it. And, and it really started with pornography. And, and this is something I speak on pretty heavily as well Is uh, his uh, vehicle was he would have me watch um, pornography with him. And then it turned into because he wanted to show me this is how he loves my mom. And then it was, he wanted me to do what I saw in the pornography on him. Um, and I couldn't tell my mom, cause she'd be jealous or she'd be mad or sad and you don't want to hurt mom. So it became, this was our thing. And uh, at that time, neither one of my parents went to church. I didn't grow up in church. I was the only child. Um, my father was the only child and my mom was separated from the rest of her family. So I really didn't have an outlet. Um, they didn't have advocacy centers back in the 80s. You didn't see signs about abuse, call this line, a hotline. Right. You didn't really see a lot of that at all. Right. Um, and so, you know, that carried on until I was about 12. Uh, unfortunately, my father um, died abruptly when he was 39 years old. And my mom lost her mind. She went like next level with the drugs. And um, I would have to do things. Uh, to accommodate her drug habit. And that's where the familial trafficking came in. And that lasted until I was um, 14 and became pregnant by one of the individuals that was her dealer um, that no wasn't the right answer for him. And so um, that particular incident was against my will. And I became a mom at 15. And on uh, October 21st, 1995 was the day that my life began. Um, I broke away from that. My grandmother sent for me and I left with my three-month-old son. And even though that wasn't the end of my woes, that was the end of my habitual sexual assault. Mm -hmm. um, I was away from that. But that's when I then entered into the realm of being in domestic violent relationships because I don't have any self-worth at this point. I'm not going to Talk back if something happened. Oh, I must have deserved it. That's where all of the seeding that my father put in me really took hold, um, to where I found myself in a few violent relationships, and I too was violent because I didn't really know how to act. Like all I see was my parents going at it. You know, I've seen my mom break a cast iron it over my dad's head and crack his skull. Like this is all I'm seeing. Um, So I'm also thinking, well, if he's putting his hands on me, I'm fighting back. I'm gonna do. This is just what I saw I know. Right. Um, right and it, and it wasn't until probably my mid twenties that I started to say, okay, some ain't right. some ain't right. And um, you know, by my late twenties is when I going through a divorce from someone that was twenty years older than me. It looked just like my father, that I realized you might have some issues that mm-hmm. <laughs> to address but again counseling is not really talked about especially in the african-american community you don't really trust anyone outside they tend they tend to tell you go to church well most church folks really don't know how to counsel Um, and there's a complete difference between dealing with someone that's been traumatized as opposed to you gonna rebuke Satan and cast out a demon I believe in all of that don't get me wrong but it's not it's when it's appropriate yeah. um and i think what's happened over the last few years is we're really trying to lean into the trauma of what's happened and not just the spirituality of it. Right. Um and so that's kind of where i first got my voice about 10 years ago and i haven't shut up since.
0: I always tell people therapy and Jesus
1: listen it'll go along what do you hear me and I say therapy over counseling because to me I felt there was a definite difference as opposed to going to the advocacy center where I would sit down and they'd be like okay so just tell me what are you thinking bring me back to the beginning and I I remember I cried for about three four days I said I don't want to do this I want to come here and cry all over again I need somebody to Yeah. Give me some practice. I'm in my thirties now. I don't want to keep crying. I've been crying. Right. And so I went to therapy and Cheryl Alexander out of Round Rock put me in my place. She she got me together about three years ago was the first time I really went to deal with it. And that's why I tell women today, it's never too late to start working through some of those issues. Mm -hmm. And it can take decades to heal. Like it's not like you flip a switch and we good and we're done. Right. After having some of that embedded in you at such a young age.
0: Yeah, because it took all that time for, you know, the trauma exactly. to happen and exactly. you expected to, to be gone overnight. But I definitely think, and I know that we've um, had a couple conversations in the group just about how, especially in the Black community, it's like, what happens in my house stays in my house? Don't go out telling me in my business. But that is so toxic. Yeah, because, and it's
1: historical in nature, though. We, yeah. we know a lot of that. Just like in the Hispanic community, it's the same thing about... We're going to deal with it within our family. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially, we you know, historically in the African-American community, there wasn't anyone we, one, could go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you didn't want the perception as if you weren't a strong family unit anyway. Right. Um, so a lot of stuff was kept inside. You had to have the strong face, just like for women. And then we had this notion that if you needed mental help, that you're crazy. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to be taglined as crazy. So we're not going to go get help for mental issues because there's nothing wrong with me I'm not crazy right right yeah Yeah. and there's a lot of people
0: suffering and there's a lot of um you know like even hearing you speak about you know your father and then that same personality then found you again in your marriage like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like generational like we talk a lot in church about like generational curses but there's stuff that literally, like, we'll follow, like, you know, we'll follow you because familiar we, don't, spirit. we don't
1: deal with it. Yeah. 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 We yeah. talk about the familiar spirit and even breaking it out of the context of spirituality, um, you know, even with child development. So around the time that my father was doing this, this is normally the age where, where children are really realizing what relationships are built off of. What does that look like? I'm, I'm trying to fill that out. Um, and that's why they say, you know, daughters tend to marry people like their dads and boys tend to marry women like their moms because you're drawn to what you're used to whether it's healthy or not, whether it's functional or dysfunctional, you're drawn to what you're used to. And so for people like myself, dysfunction was my normal. I try to explain this to people that people that deal with unhealthy, and I'm not talking about it like from a diet, but just, you know, mentally, emotionally unhealthy um, or dysfunctional individuals. There's three things we do. When we come into something that's contrary to that, and I talk about this with survivors all the time. So if I'm used to chaos, I thrive in it. Even if I seem miserable, that's my familiar place. So when I come into contact with someone that's completely opposite from that, um, then I'll either run, I will try to discredit them, or I'm gonna cause chaos because that's what I'm used to, that's my norm. Um, and I said, you know, for me, for so many years, that was my norm, was dysfunction. So anything that was contrary to that, I'm not feeling comfortable. I don't even want to gravitate toward it. Uh, like I said, I'm going to try to have the, the discredit it because I want the bottom to fall out first because I knew it was too good to be true. And it also goes back to worth and value because I don't feel I'm worth something that's healthy or functional because I haven't had that. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's, that's why you see, you know, women will leave like one bad relationship and then they get into another Mm -hmm. bad, you know, another bad relationship. I've seen it with, you know, several ladies that I know. I'm like, but you just,
1: and now you're okay. (laughs) Or, or they have that, um, like somebody told me when I left my last relationship, and I'm so glad I did at that time, because it was just so toxic. Um, but they said, you have that fix-a-bear spirit. You always want to get something and fix it on up. And then by the time you fix it up, they go on <laughs> huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, the reason I think I was like that is because I wanted someone to fix me. Yeah. And so I, what I really wanted is what I kind of put out there and gravitated toward I gravitated toward a mess because I was a mess. Mm -hmm. And that's why I tell ladies and I talk about it in my book of reality check is a chapter about you if you keep getting the same type of relationships, it's not them, it's you. Yep, you're the common saying, Why do I keep getting these? It's you, and I mm-hmm. talk about that in that series that you saw too. But after a while, you have to start saying, "Why am I attracting or allowing this in? What haven't I dealt with within myself, or what am I attracted to that's a mess?" Mm-hmm. it's primarily yourself
0: right but the
1: fact that you're not dealing with and it's not to say you're a negative bad person but there's some untapped issues you need to deal with within yourself and and then that way maybe you can break the cycle of the chaos you're drawing in
0: yeah that's awesome that's really mm-hmm. so I guess my next thing would be because you're talking about you know identifying things and reasons as to why you may be you know, in this cycle of contracting the same spirits. So what are some of the most important things when you go and talk to survivors, what are some of the most important things that you feel like they need to arm themselves with?
1: Like what knowledge? So I have, I, I just recently said, okay, I need to start putting on paper and synthesizing this philosophy that I'm really taking root to of learning to exhale. We hear it all the time. Uh, We had a wonderful movie back years ago called Waiting to Exhale. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I've really kind of taken it beyond that. I feel it's like a three-fold process um, that I've put together for this learning to exhale. And the first one is to find your voice. And the find your voice is the first part of that. It's kind of really taking stock of where are you. you? You kind of stop and you catch your breath. Like you have to stop sometimes and really take stock of where you are mentally, emotionally, professionally, your relationships, like what's your immediate circle looking like and realize that the mind matters and your mouth can disrupt. Mm. So what you think is important, but what you speak can either kill it or it can enhance it. And so really just taking a breath as far as catching it and really taking stock of where you are, because unless you do that, you don't know, you know, where areas are that you want to improve or where you can really condense down. And then you go into the embrace your now. So the second phase of it is who am I? As you're waiting to exhale, what are you doing now toward any of those things that you're taking stock of? You're you're seeing where you are emotionally, mentally, professionally. But what are you doing to enhance those things? Are you even moving toward that? Are you working in a passion place, uh, in a purposeful place? Or are you just there because it's a placeholder? Like just really, what are you doing in the midst of it? How do you see yourself? I, I talk about the five F's. How do you see yourself when it comes to your faith relationship with family, with friends, with your finances, and in regards to your future? Do you feel like you're moving somewhere? Do you feel like you're stagnant? Do you feel like you have the confidence to fail in trying to get where you're going? Um, so that's the second piece. And then the third piece is really I am. That's when you start declaring and speaking to where you can exhale for your future, to where this is where you learn to exhale. Because first you've found a voice, you have taking stock of where you are, and, and you've really just stopped a second, let me stop, because I'm doing a whole lot, then you're transitioning into embracing your now, you're figuring out, okay, this is actually some of the things that I'm doing or I'm not doing, uh, because this is who I am, this is how I see myself as far as these five F's, and then you start declaring the I am's, and really shaping your purpose while you're speaking life into it. You become what you speak. You know, um, what do you need to do to really provoke manifestation? How do you reclaim and restore? Uh, And in the midst of all of that, you're coping, you're planning, and you're executing all simultaneously. So it's a process that normally when I'm working with um, individuals, we kind of take stock of that and create like a purpose-filled plan, because just as much as we have to plan, to go on vacation, or you're going to plan um, to do certain studies and, and take out, your, do your education, and you plan for all of this, planning is a part of the learning to exhale about how you want to see yourself you know, how you want to feel about certain things. And then again, what does your healing look like? Because everybody's healing journey is so completely different. And I'm never one to say, well, you have to do X, Y, and Z to get through this. Because for me, writing did it. Um, certain other things did it for me. But for you, it might be music. It might be pottery. It might be finding a new hobby. It might be actually, instead of being a loner, breaking out of your shell a little bit it might be telling the whole truth for the first time. A lot of survivors and some that have been traumatized, especially if you've been in the life of trafficking or some other types of um, sexual assault, lying becomes a second nature. And to even to where you've lied so much, you forget your truth. Right. Um, And even getting through that phase of promiscuity for those that Um, you know I feel like I'm in control of my body I'm gonna do what I want to do or because you don't have the value there you still allowing your body to kind of just be this bartering system or some piece of meat or some bait you know how do I find that value in myself again
0: right and so those are
1: just some of the ways to kind of lead people through that yeah that's awesome and can you what you said that the mind Oh, you like that little oh, oh, I did like, oh, know that. Let me write that down. You, like, Put your you mind in the air. What?
0: This, I, let me copyright it. No. Yes. <laughs> Girl, uh, yes. That's that's a word. Mouth, so, I was like, wait, oh,
1: I'm about I'm uh, to grab my pen because she's going <laughs> to <be my soul." laughs> um, I said the mind matters, and then opposite to that, the mouth disrupts. So the mind matters because, you know, even spiritually talked about all um, matters, the mind flows through the heart. Um, But it's important of how you think of yourself. But again, what you speak can disrupt all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you want to become a vessel of disruption, especially if you've been in a dark, low place. Um, and that's why the last phase of my philosophy is really declaring I am, I am what, and it's based off of those five F's that I talk about. Mm -hmm. So if in your faith, you're saying, you know, this is where you are now, and this is what you're doing, but I am more than a conqueror. I am going to study and do so-and-so, or same thing with your finances right now. You're drowning in debt. I am debt-free and I'm going to be doing this because I'm only doing this right now. And you have to go through those layers to kind of really um, get a full picture of what you need to do.
0: Sophia, that's a word. (laughs) That's a word. That's a whole sermon all by itself. Because, you know, we talk about, you know, life and death are,
1: you know, Mm -hmm. and the power power of the the tongue. tongue. And it's so so true.
0: Mindset to something but then you're speaking the opposite like you can have all the greatest intentions of the world but then what is your if you're speaking things into existence
1: Mm -hmm.
0: that don't
1: correlate with your thoughts Mm -hmm. and you and you're in the medical field so you know how important it is when they say that having a patient that has a good outlook on things, Mm -hmm. that has like a strong willpower Mm -hmm. mindset can really heal them more than the power of medicine. Mm -hmm. So that mind, your mindset, and what you're constantly feeding your mind verbally even, really can be life or death. And and it's proven even in the medical field that having a good outlook or being positive about your recovery, or about healing, even when it looks bleak. Yeah, those patients tend to have better outcomes or they may live a little bit longer just because they had that willpower the mindset and they spoke it
0: my pastor talks about that he um was diagnosed with um cancer and went through chemo and he said he would sit in the um in the infusion centers and he would hear people like you know he heard one lady like like, oh I just want to die and he was like oh no get behind me Satan <laughs> he's like no because I'm trying to live and right. I, I have to say, he said so he would wear headphones and he would listen to sermons and things that would encourage him because he was in a fight for his life like he can't have mm-hmm. you out here speaking he's like oh no right. no ma'am <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, right. no, no, no. And
1: that's all facets that's in your own health I mean you know all of us are not you know, I'm not a Coca-Cola or bottle shape, nor am I choosing to be one, but I do want to be healthy right. um, physically and, and emotionally. But I also know that unless I keep telling myself, okay, Sophia, you're walking today. Sophia, you know, sometimes I, I talk to me yes. to get me together. Paul said um, he had to encourage himself. You have, <laughs> listen, you have to do it because you don't always have someone there to pat you on the back to give you that encouragement. And that's okay. Um, because we have to have, that's about building your own self-worth, which is vitally important.
0: Right. Right. That's so awesome. This is, this is great. I need, I was like, Oh, let let me, I need a pen (laughs) to write down these facts. And Um, you
1: know, that's what's so good about this. The learning to exhale philosophy, um, is something that we actually even put into a form of symposium. So now what we do, and we just got back from um, Los Angeles today, Yeah, uh, we did a partnership with UCLA, the YWCA of Greater Los Angeles, and um, Starbucks was also a sponsor, uh, and the Carolyn Thomas Foundation and Discuss Us. And we did a Learning to Excel symposium where basically we did a screening of the documentary reality series, Our Journey Alive which is a series that follows the life um, of abusers, um, abused, um, and to really show that there is life after abuse. And then um, we do a panel where we have law enforcement, advocacy centers, and survivors, and we're really kind of debunking the myths that are surrounding domestic violence and sexual assault. But it's a wonderful platform that we're able to partner with people so that we can go throughout the United States and take these same core philosophies and bring them into churches and bring them into the realm of corporate. We've um, partnered with Dell medical school and Houston Tilliston and UT Austin. So like just going to these different hubs and saying, Hey, let's have this conversation. And it's, it can be difficult, but by doing the screening, we help to kind of normalize Mm -hmm. the emotions and things that we go through. And then having the panel really allows it to be interactive and organic. That's awesome. It's definitely
0: something, you know, when you talk about um, the need to have it in churches, it's Mm -hmm. definitely, especially because there's more and more um, women who are now ready to share their stories. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, sometimes, you know, we, they come to the church and not that, you know, the church at the church, we don't have good intentions, but we don't necessarily have exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. And having something similar to this you know, it kind of, it will help assist mm-hmm. because you can't be, you know, you can't be everywhere. And so I think that's awesome that that's something that you guys are trying to roll out into all of these, pla- like, you know, into all of these different avenues because anybody can encounter someone, what? who, you know, who's been sexually assaulted. I work in pediatrics and I have had patients disclose to me mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it's hard Mm -hmm. it's hard there was i mean the story the one that comes into my mind it was just so sad because the girl was so she was so she was just kind of going through these emotions and um i talked to her at length in the office and then also sent her to counseling but i would like you know her mom and herself both wanted to talk to me and by this time it had happened a year ago and mm-hmm. what was so crazy was that um, they were an immigrant family, and so dad had got deported. Mm-hmm. And so the, somebody in the community, a man, told the mom because the mom was working two jobs to help support these girls, and told the mom, you know, I'll help, you know, I'll help you with the girls. And he mm-hmm. was assaulting her, like he earned mom's trust and right. then took advantage. And it just listening to her story and just all the emotion and girl, I prayed with that girl in the office and I was like, and we're gonna send you to therapy <laughs> because it's <laughs> good though because you because look, us talking in this twenty minutes isn't enough. Right, the twenty minutes, thirty minutes that I spent in the office with you, you need like so you don't have to mm-hmm. like fifteen. Like this doesn't have to be your life for the rest of your life. So right, somebody who can help you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: because there's it there was so many layers to it and the mom that's was good. crying and she felt like and i'm just like oh my goodness
1: mm-hmm. that's good well i and i'm glad that you did that and that's kind of what we as healthy survivors are trying to do is really spread that confidence that this is not the end right this is not the end all um and so again we always implore we You can find us at Our Journey Alive on all social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So you could catch up on some of the ladies. And and then we share our information and resources as well. And uh, we even have our GoFundMe page um, for Our Journey Alive. And and it just kind of details for us to continue to do the symposiums and these platforms. We don't charge for our time, but we got to get there. Yeah. um and, and normally we raise funds so that we can get there and one of our biggest things we're trying to do is to go to rwanda june of next year That's they amazing. have a large population of girls obviously that have been sexually assaulted yeah and then that culturally it's it's not that it's accepted but it's not as regulated as much and a lot of their issues they don't have access to some of the resources we do here mm-hmm. so some of the survivors are actually going to go there and uh, one, lend an encouraging word. And, and we're not going to say that we're empowering them because sometimes that's not always welcome, but we're going to say we're enlightening them, which is yeah. doing the same thing. Right. Um, and so, you know, we always implore support to be able to continue to stand. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome. I really love that the, work, the work that you're doing. Can you just talk a little bit about um, the workbook that you have and yeah. I'm like yeah I would I definitely I'm going to get all those links um from you and so and add them onto our website and post That's them in our great. group so that way everybody can kind of have access to all of these resources that you have because I think I think you're amazing like I'm just, Thank I'm you. just like, oh, like
1: she, <laughs> well Ooh. I mean we're always excited to work with 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 anyone and so when I did the book and again it's 10 years old now I'll be doing a second edition but it's still it's a great it was my first step of really kind of getting it out where it was easy to read and to where I could get into middle schools like I had to make it to where it was a seventh grade reading level for that and the workbook Mm -hmm. but when I when I wrote my book it was just my means of just I need to get it off my chest Um, and one of the administrators for school district here saw it and said oh my gosh we would love for you to come into our schools. Can you build a curriculum off of it? And I said, sure, (laughs) I can do it. (laughs) So thus came Taking My Life Back in Nine Weeks. And it's literally, it's a workbook that kind of breaks down what emotions are, um, the consequences of that. It allows you to do some journaling. And um, it's something that can be done, whether it's a Bible study, whether it's a a peer group or a support group, whether it's just you trying to get through life and you don't, it has nothing to do with just being sexually traumatized. So, or domestic violence, it's a workbook for life, period. Um, So you won't see mention in regards to abuse. It just really kind of details any type of life experience. Some people have lost people, some people have lost jobs, careers, whatever it is. Um, But one of the things that I love the best is that in the back, I give 101 quotes. Um, And the goal for that is, I believe because I'm talking about the mouth disrupts, being able to speak some positive things into your life every day. So every day that you're doing that workbook, I have soothing word cafe, which is a, gives you different, um, positive quotes as well but on top of that you distinctly have in the back of that book 101 different quotes that you can speak life into yourself encouragement um there's quotes on success there's quotes on beauty and so it just kind of really allows you that within two months you're on a track that whole planning piece you you mm-hmm. broke down some of those emotions and really learned to separate yourself from your circumstances
0: that's awesome I am just, like, my my mind is not blown, but just, it's just so awesome to hear that, you know, you have this story, and it's the work that you're doing, you know, in response to what has happened to you, because, again, like we talked about earlier, some people don't do, like, they don't take a situation and take control of it, and make that situation work for them, it kind of, like, owns them, and then they end up, you know, suffering from, mental illness or you know living a life of destruction or repeating the cycle and then doing it to someone else um and so that's that's awesome and I am just so glad that I got to meet you and I really appreciate you just coming in and sharing your story I have you know I have one more question okay well we talked you had said that you deal with not only the the survivors, but you also deal with the abusers.
1: Can mm-hmm. you talk
0: a little bit about that work and like how like how? Like how <laughs> you know, a lot <laughs> how of people a lot of people like but how? Because a lot of people would be so I feel like put off, but they don't mm-hmm. want to help these people. Like right. so what yeah. how did that come about? And can you just tell us a little bit about the work that you do with that?
1: I can. So it it came out when I realized that if we're going to truly break the cycle of abuse, we have to deal with the abuser and the abuse. And this is the simplest statistic that I use whenever I talk about this. If you have 1,000 rapes, and this is statistically known, if you have 1,000 rapes, out of those 1,000 rapes, only six may be prosecuted and or convicted, six. So that leaves 994 perpetrators to go back out mm-hmm. and perpetrate again right and we also know statistically that the majority of individuals that are abusers were either abused themselves or exposed to abuse right or was was not given proper coping skills um, or conflict resolution because of potentially the childhood or their exposure to neglect right that's the majority So with all of those things, we're armed with all of those things. We know hurt people hurt people, whether it's through, again, and domestic violence is not just physical abuse, which I try to make sure that I Mm -hmm. educate on. It is also... Uh, emotional, psychological abuse, it's financial abuse, it can be sexual abuse, it can be physical abuse, it doesn't necessarily have to be an intimate partner, it can be amongst um, brothers and sisters and mothers and sons or whatever have you, anything within that intimate partner and or relative form or someone that's just living in the home with you as well could be domestic violence. And so with all of those things um, being said, I'm in a healthy place to where I know that I have to bring the abuser to the table at some point in a non-judgmental way. Right. And even though I know it looks, excuse me, asinine to some people that you would do that, you have to be realistic to the fact that unless we address them, we never break a cycle. If I'm only dealing with the victims, I'll never break a cycle because I'm not addressing the reason why he's doing what he's doing in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I actually um, got picked up and I, I had the crisis um, management division for a sports management company. And the reason that they wanted me on board was they said, we would love for you to work with our rookies to kind of give them your non-traditional coaching that you do to keep them out of predicaments like that. Okay. And then some of the veterans that e- either have been alleged or it's been confirmed. They've been in abusive um, or intimate um, partner violence that you work with them through my learning to excel philosophy to stop that detrimental behavior so they can stop denigrating women in themselves. And then the spiritual piece of me is I have to believe in restoration. Yeah, I have to believe that some, not all, But some people can be restored from that type of behavior and not all circumstances are the same. And so if we're able to restore them, not to perpetrate again, and then we're healing and working with those that have been abused, that's how a cycle is broken. Not when you're doing one side over the other. And so this is, it's not like I'm running with open arms and box of tissues for these individuals, but if they can be accountable, which means they've taken responsibility for the action and they see that there's a need for there to be a change, mm-hmm. then someone has to be there to work with them. It's not just about anger management because it doesn't have, most times it's not about anger, it's about control. Right. So you take sending me to anger management and you don't have to raise your voice to abuse somebody. Right. So again, it's just like, how do we really work through so that enough can be enough?
0: That's awesome. hmm that's, that takes yeah. a lot of strength. That, like, and that's it's, awesome.
1: It's, it's and Trust strength. me when I tell you a lot of survivors are not there. I talked to another uh, young lady. Um, she's doing some wonderful things in film. She has a project on Aspire TV right now um, that she executive produced a, a film on domestic violence. And I, you know, When she found out I was working with <laughs> the abuser, she said, girl, we need that. It's just not going to be me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I say, I'm not healed yet. I'm, like, I'm not healed. You have to deal with both sides, honey, but how the yeah. hell? Yeah, I mean, somebody has to, and it can't always be a counselor that doesn't understand, you know, this is just a checkbox and some mental notes and some case notes that they write down. It has to be someone that can look them in the eye to let them know that there was someone on the other end of that abuse. <laughs> but why are you doing this? Tell me about your child. What happened to you that's making you now do what you experienced or what was done to you? And and really having that be, and again, not everybody can be restored because not everybody is in that place. Some people are so far gone or some have just completely crossed the line. But again, for us that are saints now, we cannot ultimately write off everybody and we say that we believe in God because he could have wrote us off
0: right exactly
1: you know so again some people have abused physically others have killed with their mouth and that's why I said the mouth can disrupt whether it's positive or negative yeah yeah Mm -hmm.
0: you've gotten my whole life together here tonight and I just (laughs) thank you (laughs)
1: I just appreciate you allowing me to have an opportunity to speak on, you know, what I like to call an epidemic, but we don't put the money behind it, but, um, I I mean, and you're welcome to come back anytime. We would love to have you. I would love to, I would love to have some of my, um, I have uh, my castmates, Carolyn and LaDonna, and, um, just even from Carolyn Thomas has a story, um, and in her incident, she lost her mom and 80% of her face, and then, Um, LaDonna has a story, I mean, she was sexually assaulted within a marriage in front of her grandson. I mean, it's just, I mean, there's just so many different stories and their powerful message, but not allowing that to defy them. And I think the more that some people hear, especially in the medical field too, but the more that you hear about the personalization of the stories, Mm -hmm. but then some of the little tidbits of how we got through that might could add to how you're able to counsel someone when, when you hear about it right. um, or to maybe see the signs or understand it a little bit better.
0: Yeah. I, you know, and I, we really try to, you know, do things like, you know, it is domestic violence awareness month, but domestic violence doesn't only happen in October. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you guys are available, we are definitely here to just come on and have you guys speak because, um, in the, post that i originally saw that you had written um your hashtag see me too um mm-hmm. really really struck a chord with me because there is not a lot of representation of us in the news it's and not it, and it happens to us a lot like it, i live we're in the majority yeah yeah i was gonna say i'm i was gonna say more than other
1: races mm-hmm. but it dri- we don't make the news we don't and and um, that's why the article that you saw actually that made you reach out was African American survivors are invisible in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And that just uh, got posted on Monday. It's on the Texas Tribune And it was my experience going to a modern day slavery museum, which is dedicated to sex trafficking and human la- and human uh, trafficking. And it's the only one, I believe, one of the only ones in the U.S. And so I was just super excited to go in Houston, Texas. And we just finished up a a human trafficking conference that the state put on. So, like, I'm geeked up. I'm with my two other survivor sisters. And I go, and, honey, I'm walking through this place. I see the Latin slave trade, uh, the Latin trade. And then I see the Asian trade. They even had the white slave trade from the Revolutionary period that started in europe they they had a room for uh, the china town and then they had one for the salvation army and they had domestic and domestic the only black folks i saw in there was pimp Don Juan with his with a <laughs> <pimp hunt laughs> jello with a sign that said 63 percent of pimps are african-americans i'm looking around i said well, where is, I'm I'm looking under curtains, well, where is the black room at? I know they got one for oh African Americans. I know it. And so the executive director, the curator of that museum comes around the bend. She got this proud as a peacock smile on her face. And she was like, oh my gosh, ladies, yes, because I put together all the content. How did you like it? And I looked at it, and the two Survivor Sisters with me were white. And that's a very relevant piece of my journey with this i looked at them and i had to think for a minute do i say something or do i just pick my battles because you know when you're african-american you pick your battles yeah yeah because you know you and, have to tread the line of like being yes. an angry black woman and everything's about race and then like stating the facts though but you just picked you just said what i experienced because i was talking just like i'm talking to you And I took that deep breath and I said, well, no, I'm just, I was looking for my story and I don't see it. She said, oh, no, there's there's Black people. And she, they have a big picture of, and you can tell it's a white girl, but it's like a a thousand little pictures that make up her face. And so she went and she pointed to one little old dot in there that was a little Black girl that had a little... I said, is, is this? She said, well, we didn't have no room. I said, well, I'm looking at a blank wall right here. You could at least have a statistic that's known to everybody via the FBI that 59% of all prostitution arrests under the age of 18, which how can you be a prostitute when you're not even legal? That's called rape, mm-hmm. but are African-American girls. And 40% of adult female um, victims of human trafficking are african-american and that we're not even including the hispanic group, but women of color make up over 70 percent of all of the victims of sex trafficking however whenever you see media you're going to see white international or asian whenever they talk about it it's about the brothels even they talk about the latin um but it's in the restaurant realm border town or whatever have you but like for it to be so prominent, why would we not have an area talking about? I said, do you know where I am? I told her, I said, do you realize we're in America? Do you understand what happened for over 400 years was the most documented and egregious form of human and sex trafficking that's happening today? Like, how do you know? Well, this is not about the Atlantic slave trade, but yet you have the white slave trade in there? So like, you're, you're still not making sense to me, honey. Like it's still an insult. And then in, this is what capped it off. She said, well, if I would have known you would have been criticizing me for the last 20 minutes, I would have never asked you if you liked it. And I just looked at her. I just, I just looked at her and I said, honey, you just proved everything without me having to say anything else. I said, you don't even see me, do you? And I asked her, I said, you don't even see me. I said, I have not once raised my voice. I have not criticized. You asked me a question and I answered it. I said, I don't see my voice. I don't see my story. I don't see my truth. And you've done everything you can to try to defend your ignorance. And it took my white sister survivor to say, well, Sophia really didn't mean yada, yada, yada. And that's when the executive director calmed down. But she still didn't see me. She might have heard it because it came through another mouth. Yeah. She never saw me. And I left that place. All three of us, after we got through, went outside and we all started crying together because I had one say, for the first time, now I know what it means to be black in America. She said, it was the, and it wasn't even my experience, but I feel what you felt. Feeling So marginalized by her conversation and it weighed on me heavy for about five days. I couldn't function at work I just started writing and I, I it took me like two months to even get this piece picked up None of the major outlets wanted to pick it up Nobody wanted to touch because they don't like when we're screaming right. We're invisible in plain sight and my see me too came from I need to be seen too mm-hmm. and all of um, wow. rhetoric that we have and even now like if you think of five prominent people that have come out about being abused you think of gabriel union i'm trying to think of another one like you i know about monique but that's because her relative told she didn't even want nobody to know but you don't even have a lot of us yeah that are out there's a handful of us yeah exactly Terry it, and he he paid big time (laughs) like he 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 did and and look at that that was you know all of that just doesn't we're not at the table when it comes to policy there's a lot of people doing grassroots work but again unless you're in certain circles you don't know about who they are so that's really when i decided to like i have to be seen doing this so that Mm -hmm. other survivors can feel the courage to stand and they may not be standing visibly where everybody can see them but them just thriving again is is another way to stand right um and and again so the story is really just we're here yeah disproportionately unfortunately yeah we're here yeah
0: yeah especially you know i live in florida and i always tell you know young ladies that i um Counselor, I tell all of my teenagers, like, make sure you know who you're talking to online. Mm-hmm. Like, human trafficking is real. And I always tell them that. But when they look like me and I'm like, and they particularly care for our melanin that is popping. Okay? Yeah. So I need to really make sure that you are protecting yourself and you're not, you know, just believing what somebody wrote because they said it. It, it can be a lie. It can be Mm -hmm. such a lie and it could be something that's devastating. Um, This has been awesome. I know I keep like, I keep like, whoa, wait, I got one more question. (laughs) We're definitely going to have to have you come back and talk about human trafficking and and the effects that human trafficking have in our community. It is, like you said, it's disproportionate and nobody is talking about it, but we're going to talk about it.
1: And that'll be good. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about, especially from the medical realm and the the, um, health field signs and things to look for yes. and you know I, I think that's just as relevant so i i would definitely love to do that
0: that's so awesome is there anything that you would like our listeners to know where can they find you give us all the tea
1: because yes, give you yes. Tea, honey. i'm gonna give you some green tea honey yes <laughs> so they can find us again our project is um our journey alive and on any social media platform, you can put in Our Journey Alive and find um, what we're doing. Again, it's we have a radio podcast that we talk about life relationships and healing. Um, we also have the reality series. And then now we're traveling um, <clears throat> across the U.S. with the Learning to Exhale Symposium. And they can support that. We have a GoFundMe.com backslash Our Journey Alive. And they have some videos and some updates of some things we've been doing over the last year and a half on there as well. And then um, they can always go to my website, sophiastrother.com, and that's S-T-R-O-T-H-E-R, Sophia, P-H., um, so sophiastrother.com and you can find about some other projects we're working on. Uh, you're also able to uh, pick up my book or my workbook. Um, yes, I'm going to have to, I'm going to get your book.
0: Is it available on Kindle? Yes, it is. Yes, it is to on Kindle.
1: Book. I'm
0: going yes. to read your book.
1: Yeah, it's available on Kindle. And um, again, we're working, I'm working on the, the third one, which will be a second edition to really, I think the first book since i was fresh to telling my story but now that a decade has has passed and i've really matured and i have another layer of experience where the therapy piece which i didn't get into much when i began because i was in my 20s with my first book um, but now that i'm nearing almost 40 there's been i'm just now really realizing what value means and how to apply that and um so that'll be a, a integral part of the second edition is about really working through the trauma and the realization of how therapy and talking about triggers and, and all of those things that I really wasn't in tune with when, when I first wrote it, I'll really be getting into it on the next edition.
0: That's so awesome. Sophia, thank you so much. I know it's late and you've been traveling all day. Mm-hmm. So I
1: really, really appreciate you.
0: And I cannot wait until our next podcast with you. And yeah, Hopefully you can bring on some of your survivor sisters because this was amazing. Like, yes, that would I'm, be great. I'm gonna talk about this mouth of disruption. I'm like the mind. What is it again? One more time. The mind. The mind matters. Yes, and the mouth. And the mouth sword. disrupts. I'm mm-hmm. right. That's yeah. That's a sermon, girl. You let me. Let me. You I'm need,
1: need to write that down.
0: You need to write that down and put it on a shirt. I'm
1: okay. about to print that word, honey. <laughs> yeah. Yes well thank you again so much thank you so much i really
0: appreciate it thank you thank you i look forward to speaking with you again soon okay hon